All right, you guys ready for the word? Okay. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 16. (laughs) Um, I'm going to read quite a long story here, but um, reading the whole story is, is kind of important to where we end up. And plus, it's an interesting story, okay? So, let's start in verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. So go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham, or Abram, sorry, had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, uh, sorry, I'm, am I, am I hearing something back here? Is it ringing or is it music? I don't know. That's all I can hear is like, something is like buzzing and that's all I can hear. Um, okay. Let me figure out where I was. Uh, Abraham, thank you. So Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. (laughs) I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. What's encouraging about this is, like, these are the same people that later on in the New Testament, like, God calls, like, the most, like, faithful people in the world. So this is encouraging um, for that, you know, where they're going to end up. And, like, we all make mistakes, so we, that, too, can be our story, that we can end up being the most faithful. All right, so verse 6. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. So Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now a child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Okay? I have now seen the one who sees me. Okay? So this story actually starts 10 years earlier. Okay, Abram, I'm going to call Abram Abraham because his name hadn't been changed yet, but that is how he ended up. That's how we know him too. So to avoid confusion, I'm just going to call him Abraham, okay? 
So when Abraham was 75 years old, the Lord told him, go into a land that I will show you and I will make you into a great nation. Um, can I just, can I use this? Is that okay? Yeah. All right, is that better? I don't know, y'all may not have heard it, but it's like all I could hear. Okay, so when Abraham was 75 years old, 10 years earlier, God told him, go to a land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And then when he got to the land, um, he said, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants. Okay, well, shortly after this, Abraham took his family, sorry, are y'all distracted enough yet? <laughs> Ooh, okay. The God who sees me. Yes, let's go. Okay. So, <laughs> so shortly after this, there's a famine in the land, and Abraham takes his family, and he goes to live in Egypt until the, fam- until the famine was over. And while he was in Egypt, he told Sarah, I want you to pretend to be my sister while we're here so that the Egyptians don't kill me and take you for themselves because she was very beautiful. So eventually, Pharaoh found out about Sarah and he took her into his palace to, to live and, um, and because of Sarah, he treated Abraham very well and he became very rich, okay? Shortly after this, all of Pharaoh's household became seriously ill. And so then Pharaoh figured out Sarah is not Abraham's sister, she's his wife. And so he sends Abraham and Sarah away with everything that he had given them. Okay, so this is presumably the part of the story that Hagar comes to be, who is from Egypt, comes to be the servant of Sarah. Okay, so Jewish tradition believes that Hagar was not a servant in Egypt, but she was an Egyptian princess. And when Sarah came to live in the palace, she met Sarah and she saw the power of Sarah's God and she said, I want to serve you. And so she, it, she is believed to have said, I would rather be a servant in the house of Sarah than a princess in my own. And so they believe that she voluntarily left with Abraham and Sarah to serve Sarah and her God. Okay. So we fast forward like nine to ten years later and everything now is a mess because ten years later Abraham and Sarah still have not had children even though God has confirmed his promise to them twice since that time, okay? And, that, and then in addition to that, because of that, Hagar who once looked at Sarah as someone who was favored by God now looked at her with disdain. Verse 4 says that Sarah was despised in her eyes, okay? So this is a story of what can happen when things don't work out like we thought they would, okay? Anyone been there? Like each person in this story took their eyes off of the Lord and focused on their disappointment at what they didn't see, okay? Each person in the story took their eyes off, the, off of the Lord and focused on their disappointment at what they didn't see. 
And they allowed their disappointment to fuel their vision of their current circumstance. Okay? You guys okay so far? So therefore, because they had allowed their disappointment to fuel their vision, they then shifted their focus toward how they were going to respond to what they didn't see. Okay? So Sarah fixed her eyes on what she could do to fix it. Right? Abraham uh, focused on making sure that everyone knew that, that he wasn't responsible so that no one would be disappointed in him. Okay? Then Hagar um, put her eyes then on the person to blame for the situation that she was in. Okay? These are all common human responses to disappointment. I'm going to focus on what I can do to fix my problem. I'm going to focus on making sure that everyone knows it's not my fault. Or I'm going to put my eyes on the person that I can be angry at so I don't have to be disappointed because it's their fault this happened to me. Okay? Does that make sense? You guys okay? So this was a very pivotal moment in history, but it was also a very confusing time for the people who were experiencing it right? Each person in the story had something that they didn't understand about why things were the way that they were, okay? And each person in the story um, were wrestling with questions and, and concerns and disappointment over what appeared to them to be the, a failure or at the very least a delay in the promises of God, Okay? So um, Abraham and Sarah's wrestling with their unbelief created a very difficult situation for everyone involved. And Hagar ended up being the one that was mistreated. And so she fled and was on her way back to Egypt. Okay? So when she left, like you can imagine that she was thinking, like, this is not the God I thought he was. And these are not the people of God I thought they were. So I'm just going to go back home. And at this point in the story, like, God could have allowed Hagar and Ishmael to disappear from the story back to Egypt, and we would never hear from them again. Right? Isaac was still coming. Like, God's promise to Abraham and Sarah had not changed. And God had nothing to do with this mess that they created. So he could have said, you know, he could have looked at Hagar and everyone could have looked at Hagar as this mistake and this inconvenience in the story of Abraham and Sarah. But that's not who God is. Okay, praise the Lord. He stepped in to the story in this moment because he needed Abraham and Sarah to know, hey, I will keep my promises to you regardless of how many mistakes you make. And I will cover all your mistakes and I will keep your promises and I will be there to help you even if you don't really understand that I am keeping my promise in this moment. Okay? And he needed, to, he needed Hagar to know, I'm not just Abraham and Sarah's God. I'm your God as well. 
okay? So God stepped into this story with a message. I am the God who sees you. And then he followed that message with an invitation. Will you look at, will you focus on, will you see the one who sees you? Okay? So let's go back to the story. When the angel of the Lord found Hagar near the spring, this was the very first time that the angel of the Lord is mentioned in Scripture. And scholars believe that the angel of the Lord was Jesus appearing to, the, to those in the Old Testament in the form of an angel. Okay? So the very first time that the angel of the Lord or Jesus appears on the pages of Scripture, it is to an Egyptian female slave. Isn't that awesome? Like, Jesus was like, listen, Israel is God's chosen nation. They had a covenant, and and God said, like, you're the one that I'm going to choose and that I'm going to make a covenant with. You're the one that the Messiah is going to come through, and you're the nation that all other nations will be blessed because of you. But the first moment that Jesus stepped into Scripture, he wanted to make it clear that I am coming for the whole world. That when I come, it will be for the whole world. Okay? Does that make sense? That means whoever you are, whatever your story, whatever your background, whatever your mistakes, wherever you came from, whatever your disappointments, you are never outside the opportunity to encounter the one who sees you. Okay? This was also the first time in Scripture that someone named God, the first of many, and it was Hagar. And she gave this name to the God she encountered. You are Elroy. You are the God who sees me. And then she followed it by saying, I have seen the one who sees me. Okay? The Hebrew word for see, it goes beyond just like I laid my eyes on you. It means to see with understanding. And so the picture here is that whatever I was confused about, whatever I was disappointed about, whatever I didn't see before, now has become clear to me. I now see. Okay? Does that make sense? You guys okay? (laughs) So she named the place where she encountered Elroy, the God who sees, she named it the well, she named it Bier. La Roy, which means the well of the one who is alive with vision. Okay? This was not just some little encounter that Hagar had with Jesus where he comforted her during a hard time. This was an encounter that changed everything for her. Okay? She was like, I, I before I, I didn't know what was happening or where I was going, but then I encountered the one who sees me and I saw the one who is alive with vision. And so because I saw him, I became a person who was alive with vision. And this wasn't a moment of seeing, this was a lifestyle of seeing. Okay? So I want to look at like some of the ways that when Hagar encountered the one who sees her, it changed her perspective and how it can change our perspective, okay? You guys okay? You ready? (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Jeff. (laughs) 
So um, the first thing that Jesus said to Hagar when he found her was her name. He didn't say, like, excuse me, miss, excuse me, ma'am, are you okay? He said, Hagar. And then he added some detail. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarah. You know what he's saying? I know who you are, and I know where you've been. Hagar, servant of Sarah. And then to give her a chance to tell her story, he says, where have you come from, and where are you going? And then Hagar said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. And you notice that she doesn't say where she's going. Because I'm not sure she knows where she's going. It may be that she can't even go back to Egypt or that she might be afraid that she can't make the trip. Either way, because of her disappointment, because of what she, what she feels she has lost or what she feels has been taken from her, because of that, she has lost her vision. Every time that we allow our focus to be, to be on what we lack or what we've lost or what's been taken from us, it will steal our vision of where we're going. Okay? Does that make sense? But the Lord's words to her, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from? Where are you going? It tells her, you are not alone. I see you. I see where you've been. I see what she's done to you. I see what what you've lost. I see what you're afraid of. I see what's been unfair to you. Hagar, servant of Sarah, I see you. And when he calls her servant of Sarah, if it was her choice to go, he's honoring her. You chose to serve, Sarah. Don't forget where you started. Hagar, servant of Sarah, I need you to know that I'm not just Sarah's God. I'm your God as well. Okay? What he's saying to her by saying, I know who you are and I know where you've come from, he's saying you are not an inconvenience in someone else's story. You are a part of my story, and you are a pivotal part of my plan, okay? And it's not as important what you've lost or what you lack, because I will bless you. My blessing is not just for them, it's for you as well. Hagar, servant of Sarah, I see you. When we encounter the one who sees us, it changes my perspective on the certainty of what I think I lack. It's not about what I've lost or what I lack or what's been taken from me anymore. It's about the one who sees me and the one who is not just their God, he's my God. And it's not just their blessing, it's my blessing. Okay? You guys okay? All right, so um, after Hagar, this is where it gets hard, okay? Because the Lord believes in us too much to be easy on us. <laughs> so he, um, 
after he lets her know, I, I see you, I know you, the next thing he says to her is go back to your mistress and submit to her. Okay, that's a hard word. Okay, the, the Hebrew words for go back, it means to return to the point of your departure. In other words, like go back to where you lost your vision, go back to where you lost your focus, go back to where your faith wavered and take this understanding of what you now see and take it back to the point of your departure and see it differently. Go back to the point of your departure. I'm going to I'm about to restore something. Okay? But then he says, go back and submit to her. Okay, well, this is where it gets hard because Sarah did mistreat Hagar, okay? And actually, the word when it says Sarah mistreated Hagar and the word that, that Jesus says to her, submit to your mistress, it's the same word, okay? So in the first, in the first case when it's used, when it says that Sarah mistreated Hagar, is it means that Sarah was very hard on her, she mistreated her, she was unfair to her, all those things. And so when Jesus says, go back and submit, he says, I realize that I'm asking you to go back to something that's hard, to go back to something that's tense, to go back to something that's unfair. But I want you to go back with new vision, okay? Now, this is not the Lord sending Hagar back to an abusive situation, Okay, now we may read this story today uh, with our lens and our experience and the times we live in and think, oh, that was an abusive situation for sure. But in that time, in those times, in that day, that was not abusive at all. Okay, and what the Lord is doing here is he's asking Hagar to go back to what's hard because he believes in Sarah and he believes in Hagar. And he says, Sarah's going to realize that she made a mistake and she's going to fix it. She's going to be better, okay? And so he, he wants Hagar to go back. And this time, I want you to take your eyes off Sarah and I want you to put them on me. Okay? Does that make sense? He was showing his belief in Hagar to go back and see differently and behave differently. And he was also showing his belief in Abraham and Sarah that they were going to see differently and they were going to behave differently because God believes in us too much, as I said earlier, to make it too easy on us. Okay, does that make sense? Everyone who, every time we encounter the one who sees us, it empowers us to do something that we couldn't do before. Okay, in scripture, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple, he said, woe is me. Like, I can't. But then he saw the one who saw him, and he said, here am I, send me. I'm ready to go. And then like a little while later, the Lord said to Isaiah, you know what? It's too small of a thing for you to be a prophet just to Israel. I'm going to send you to, to be a prophet to all the nations of the earth. The Lord keeps increasing what we're capable of when we see his belief in us. Okay? Um, Gideon, also, the Lord comes to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who are you talking to? Like, I'm the least. I'm the weakest. I can't. And then he, when he says, I've seen the Lord face to face, suddenly he leads an army. 
I mean, of 300 men against an entire Midianite army. Okay? Jesus encountered another woman at the well in John chapter 4, at a different well. And he tells her, hey, you've, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And when she saw the one who saw her, she became an evangelist that went in to back to her entire town and brought her entire town to see Jesus with the testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. I've seen the one who sees me. And it's not a condemnation. I feel empowered because I've encountered his mercy and his grace and the way that he believes in me. Okay? Mary Magdalene was at the tomb weeping, um, the empty tomb, weeping in despair because she had lost her hope and she had lost her faith and all she wanted was to find his body. And then he shows up to her and she doesn't even know who he is until he says her name, Mary. And then she knows, and she runs back to his disciples and says, I have seen the Lord, even though they all thought she was crazy. I have seen the one who sees me. It changes everything. Because no matter what disappointments we've had, no matter what mistakes, no matter what failures, no matter what we think of ourselves, it doesn't, like when we encounter the one who sees us, We see his mercy, we see his belief in us, and we see the way that he empowers us to carry something that we could not carry before and to to do things that we could not do before, okay? You guys okay? When I see the one who sees me, it changes my perspective on the depth of his belief in me. All right, third... The, the Lord told Hagar to go back and submit to her mistress, Sarah, but he didn't stop there. He didn't just, first of all, he says, I see you. I know you. I know where you've been. I know who you are. And then he gives her hard work. And then he follows it up with a blessing. He's like, I'm not going to send you back to do this hard thing alone. I'm going to bless you. And we might read this blessing that he gave her and think, you know, I'm not so sure that was a blessing or not. <laughs> Sounds kind of hard. But actually, this blessing was everything to Hagar. And I'll tell you why. Because in that time, it was, it was common practice, if a woman could not have kids or could not have children, to have children through her servants. Like, what happened here was, like, really common practice. But when that happened, when a, a woman had children through her servant, the child didn't legally belong to the servant. The child belonged to the to the one she served. Okay? So legally, Ishmael did not belong to Hagar. He belonged to Sarah. Okay? So what, what Jesus was saying when he blessed her was, your son will belong to you. And not only will he belong to you, I will bless him. And I, he gives her a... a, a blessing similar to the one he gave Abraham when he said his descendants will be too numerous to count that's crazy this is an Egyptian female servant and the and and Abraham and Sarah are like God's chosen people and Jesus said I will not treat you as an inconvenience in their story you will be blessed 
okay? So he did not send her back empty-handed. Not only did he bless her and say, this will be your child, he, he named the child Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. So every time they called his name, every time she called for him and she said, Ishmael, she was reminded God hears. She was reminded of this encounter God sees. I have seen the one who sees me. Okay, when we encounter the one who sees us, it changes, it, it increases our belief of, of the blessing that's upon us. Let me uh, say this like this. Change it, it changes my perspective on the magnitude of his blessing. Because all Hagar wanted to do was run away. And it would have been much easier for her to run away. But the Lord said, if you'll stay with me, I will increase what you believe about the magnitude of my blessing. I'm big enough to bless Abraham and Sarah, and I'm big enough to bless you too. Because I'm not just the God of Abraham and Sarah, I'm the God of Hagar. I'm the God of you. I see you. I bless you. Okay? You guys okay? (laughs) Okay. Uh, You guys can stand up. Eddie, you can come back. Um, we have a few minutes. We're going to worship for a few minutes and give you guys a chance to just see the Lord who sees you. But while Eddie's getting ready, I, and before we start, I just want to tell you a quick story about a woman named Lilius Trotter. Anyone heard of Lilius Trotter? Wow, no one. Okay. So in the late 1800s, Lilius Trotter was a woman who had an extraordinary opportunity to become a very famous painter. And she came from a wealthy family, and she had her whole life ahead of her. And as she was praying about this decision, she felt like the Lord was asking her to lay that down and devote her life to the mission field. And so she went to the mission, spent decades on the mission field, and everywhere she went on the mission field, she, she carried her sketchbook around with her, and she would sketch seeing Jesus in everything. And then she would, she would sketch what she seen and then she, what she saw. And then she would write little thoughts about seeing the Lord in what she saw. So in the early 1900s, there was a songwriter named Helen Lemon. Lemon and she heard about a quote. She heard a quote from one of Lilius Trotter's sketchbooks. And the quote said this. Turn, your, your, turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And the divine attraction by which God's saints are made will lay hold of you. For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart he has died to win. This woman, Helen Limmel, she heard that quote, and at the time she, w- she was blind. She had been a songwriter, she had been a singer, famous singer. She not only became blind, but her husband left her after he discovered she was blind because he didn't want to be married to a blind woman. And then she heard this quote, and she said, I will not look at my disappointment. 
I will turn my soul's full vision to Jesus. And she wrote the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You see why that song still has power all these years later. And she continued to write songs until she died at the age of 97. She never stopped turning her eyes upon Jesus. And Lilius Trotter, a few years after she died, they discovered in her house on the mission field a tiny prayer room. And sketched on the ceiling of the prayer room was a verse from Hebrews chapter 2 that says, We do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see Jesus. Seeing Jesus changes everything. And he wants our full attention so that we can see that his full attention is on us. I have seen the one who sees me. We don't just want to see him. We want to see our reflection in his eyes. We want to see the one who sees us. Changes our perspective on everything. Of his glory. 